Hey everybody, welcome back to The Hustle, it's John Lamoureux. All right, happy birthday to me. Today's my birthday, heck yeah. And so to celebrate, I'm gonna put out this interview I did with Peter Coyne, who is the lead singer of The Godfathers. Unfortunately, I've been hanging on to this episode for a few months because we've had to put out so many time-sensitive episodes lately and we still have a bunch more to go, but I, I felt bad hanging on to this because he, he I love The Godfathers. So we're gonna squeeze this one in. If you don't know The Godfathers, they came out in the late 80s uh, with this song right here, Birth, School, Work, Death. Epic, right? Just that greasy, meat and potatoes, rock and roll. They're wearing their suits. They look like Godfathers. They're British. Um, they were really big on the college circuit at the time, and they continued for a while. They kind of slowed down for a while, but now they're back at it. In fact, if there hadn't been COVID, they would have been celebrating their 35th anniversary last year. So as soon as everything gets back to normal, which is hopefully coming soon, they'll get back into the swing of that. Now, I discovered these guys later. I discovered them in the early 2000s after the fact. And I don't know how I missed them, but I didn't know anything about the Godfathers prior to the early 2000s. And so Peter gives us like a full-fledged band history report right here. And, uh, and I love it. And so I think you're going to hear a lot of music that you'll like. He's a really good dude. I wanted to hear some stories about the touring, how they came up with the sound. And this may seem funny to you, but I was really interested how you keep your suits clean when you're touring. You know, what, what are the tips and tricks of that? Anyway, I love him. I love this band. I hope you guys enjoy it. He called me from his home from the west coast of Scotland. So let me ask you this. Um... Prior to all of this, I remember following, I follow, I've been following you guys on Facebook for years, but I, sound, I think before the COVID hit and everything, you guys were planning some anniversary tours. Am I right? Last year was going to be the, um, one of the busiest years the Godfathers had ever done because yeah. it was going to mark 35 years since the band actually played the first gig. Mm -hmm. So we started off the year with, um, uh, four gigs in the UK and then uh, four shows in Europe. And then, of course, you know, March, mm -hmm. the whole world stopped. But listen, this is the sequence to the countdown of our last four gigs that we ever played. We went to Germany to do a really famous TV show called Rock Blast. Sure. Rock Blast has had everybody on it from U2 to David Bowie to Bob Marley. The Godfather's done it in 1991. And they asked us to do it again. So it was a really rare honor to be asked to do it twice. So that was our first gig. And we knew that coronavirus was sort of clamping down then. It hadn't reached lockdown stage at that point. So we got the ferry over to Germany, played Rockplast. They filmed it. And it went down really great. And then as we came out of Germany to go into Holland, lockdown happened in Germany, right? Mm -hmm. 
Then we played the gig in Holland that night, or Belgium rather, that night. And as soon as we played that gig, the ne next day we're travelling on to Holland. That gig, uh, Belgium locked down. Mm. So we played the last one in um, somewhere in Holland. I can't remember where. And then as soon as we finished that gig, the whole country went into lockdown. So uh, we did have one more gig in Europe because it's all set up around Rock Blast to do that. Mm -hmm. And um, we couldn't play it because of the, it was in Belgium and that had already gone into lockdown. So we stayed in Holland, got the ferry home, and then we went straight. We had one day off and then we went straight into the uh, studio to record Double uh, A side, Bowling Free, I'm Not Your Slave. by the way, finished. Peter, I got to interrupt for a second. You emailed those to me and they are so fantastic. And uh, I love these new two, these two new tracks. And it sounds like there's right. more coming. But anyway, continue. I want to hear sure. more of this. But listen, listen, the thing was, is that we were so lucky in one way with the sort of sequence of how it all happened. Um, so we recorded for three days, starting, I think, 16th of March. We finished on the 19th. Then the 20th was my birthday, so I was travelling home on my birthday. Got home on the 20th after doing all the gigs out in Europe and recording in the studio. And then it was like two days at home, and then the UK went into lockdown as well. But I was so glad that we was able, to, one, to do Rock Palace, because we got that. It was filmed. It went on German national TV, Austrian national TV, Swiss national TV. We bought the rights so we can put our DVD of that gig and it looks fantastic, sounds fantastic. So that's actually coming out in uh, about a month or two months' time as a like in concert DVD rock blast special. And but the thing was was to start this the single I'm not your slave wild and free, then came out on the 17th of June, which was when we played our first gig as the Godfathers. It wasn't actually as the Godfathers, it's as the Cypress experience. But it was with the lineup that was the Godfathers. We just, mm -hmm. you know, got those guys in the band. And then a month or so after that, in 85, we changed name to the Godfathers. But it was still the original lineup of the Godfathers. So that's what we was paying respect to with the release on the 17th of June, uh, a double A side, two, two songs yes. called I'm Not Your Slave, and Wild and Free. you talk down to me said I ain't no child gonna set myself free and I don't need your permission 
You know, I know both those tracks is going to be on that new album, but we're so lucky to get in the studio with everything locking down left, right and center. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I've seen the announcements for the new album, uh, which I think is going to probably come out later this year. And I'm so excited. How are you guys doing that? Are you, you mentioned getting into a studio. Are you all able to do that? Or are you kind of sending files to each other? When we can rehearse, we meet up to rehearse. It's quite difficult because three of us live in Scotland. I live in Presswick. As I told you, in the west coast of Scotland, and uh, Billy Duncanson, the drummer, and Richie Simpson, the guitarist, live in Edinburgh. Mm. So we meet up in Edinburgh, and the, the other two guys come from the north of England um, John, the bass player, and Wayne, guitarist. And we basically we rehearse in Scotland or the north of England. Mm. So it's only when we're allowed permitted to travel. I mean, I can't even travel outside of the local district now yeah. for, for, the, for the meantime, but. Coronavirus, after being so horrible for about a year, starting to sort of get a little bit better right. in Scotland and the rest of the UK. But we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah, it's uh, it's tough out there for everybody. How does somebody, and I was going to get to this later, but we'll, we're kind of on the topic now, so I'm going to ask. The Godfathers are a great band that are sort of in a middle area. There's not, There aren't hits that are evergreen that keep you know, giant royalty checks coming. I would imagine at this stage, you probably rely heavily on touring and letting that, that being your kind of your livelihood. How have you been impacted financially? If that's too sensitive a question, tell me, but how have you been impacted financially through all of this? Are you doing okay? Uh, uh, I'm not doing too bad. You know, okay. there's lots of people have lost their jobs completely. Yeah. I mean, we, we've not been able to work since March last year. So, but, you know, what we could have done, I'm going to explain, the rest of the year was going to sort of celebrate the, the Godfather's yeah. 35th anniversary. And we had so many gigs lined up. We had um, uh, tours of Spain, Germany, mm -hmm. Austria, Holland, Belgium, France. We had uh, six football stadium gigs with a massive band supporting mm -hmm. them. I can't say who it was because oh, you're shoot. not allowed to unless okay. it's been totally confirmed. But it was playing with a couple of our heroes. So I'll just say that it was an honor to ask them. Everybody knows their names. Okay. It's a bit of a super group. I can't still can't say, ah. but it would have meant playing in front of like 40,000, 50,000 people like every night. Like, you know, oh. we had a month of gigs in Canada. It's so expensive to get to the States. You won't believe it. So we, we wasn't going to 
entertain yeah. going to America at the moment. But we had so many gigs lined up and they were all cancelled because of coronavirus. But, you know, I'm still alive and the band is still going. And, um, yeah. you know, there's millions of people dropping like flies all around the world. It's just yeah. a horrible thing for planet Earth. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, speaking of uh, touring with people, when I told some of my listeners that I was going to be talking with you, um, a couple of them came back saying that they saw, I don't remember if it was a whole tour or if it was just one show or a series of shows back in the, I think it was the late eighties, probably around 89. Um, you guys with, uh, living color, living color was your opening act. Do you remember these shows? Sure. That was an MTV tour. That's it. Yeah. And basically it just went around the States and you know, it was us and living color. We actually swapped. One night was the Godfather's headlining, and the next night was Living Color, you know. And we both signed to the same label, Epic Records, and okay. um, we got along really well with those people. And it was it was a great tour. We joined one night by the Sugar Cubes. Oh wow! And that, was, that 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 was filmed for MTV. The whole thing with uh, Godfather's Sugar Cubes, Living Color. There's still some clips up there on YouTube of some amazing footage. We're quite honest with you, and it was a really good tour. Really good tour. I, I don't know what I was doing, but I didn't really discover the Godfathers until much later. I, and I'm a, I listened to alternative radio my, my whole life, but I somehow the Godfathers passed me by. And it was in the early two thousands that I would see birth school work death on like classic MTV or VH one or something like that. And absolutely fell in love. And so then huh? I have to go back and get all the albums. Unreal World, I think, is my favorite Godfather's album. Thank you. By the way. Yeah, yeah, it's a really good album. Though. Yeah, I love that one. So I was curious, though, you know, what do you think? Why didn't the Godfathers, you just listed off every other country on earth that loves mm -hmm. and embraces your band, and yet the States couldn't get their act together. What do you think that was? Why? That, that's, I, I don't believe that's true. That's not oh. true. Okay. I'll tell you why, because um, we were very, very big on those uh, college radio stations True. in America. True, good, good. Like with number one records on college radio all over the States, you know. I can't complain about America took to the Godfather straight away. Straight oh, good. Away. Okay, then I'm the guy who's, I'm the I, I used one. to, you know, go, present myself at customs and they say to me, uh, so, excuse me, sir, what's what's the purpose of your, your visit? And I'd say, well, you know, I'm in a band, we're touring America, and they go, what's the name of your group? And I'll say, The Godfathers, and they go, The Godfathers, this damn nation, great record, welcome to America, sir. And that was it, bang, we was in. Like, you know, we was we we played America, like, five weeks after we got together, you know? So wow. We was in the States playing in the States four gigs in 1985. And then the next year, we came back and done eight gigs. And about six months later, we're done like a month. We're done, you know, tours of America for three months and four months in the 80s. And, uh, you know, we, wow. it was a fantastic reception. That's great. I, I can't tell Good. you, it was an incredible time. Like, you know, Good. especially with those albums. Um, Epic Records were interested because Hit by Hit and records like I want everything in this damnation. We're already getting plays on these like really influential college radio.
first school work death was the first thing we recorded for Epic Records. Good. And that that was that was like actually a, a top 40 um single in the States. True. So so you know, I mean the Sex Pistols never got a top 40 single in the States, <laughs> right? But the, the Godfathers did. Do you know what I mean? Good. Yes. Robbie Williams yes. didn't get a top 40 single no. in the States, but the Godfathers did. You, you know? couldn't crack it. Yeah, that's true. And, you know, and things like Birth School Work Death, more songs about love and hate, Unreal World, they all, they, it was it was very good in America. Good. First then, I've got to good. Say, I'm like, glad. You know? I'm glad. I wasn't sure because, uh, like I said, I, it passed me by and I don't know how because it would have been mm-hmm. right in my wheelhouse back then. Um, right. I, I'm curious when I look back over the Godfathers and I do, in a, you know, I research and listen to everything and read things about you. So often they refer to you guys as like 10 years past your like punk. You're a punk band that if you'd been around five or uh-huh. 10 years earlier would have been in the exact right spot. I don't exactly, I hear a punk attitude, but not a punk sound necessarily. Right. Do you feel like that's appropriate when people compare you with that. Sort of in a way because we were definitely influenced by punk rock music as well as like classic rock and roll music, yeah. like Yardbirds or T Rex or the Stones or what have you, or Elder Ramones or whatever you want to call it, you know. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people say about the Godfathers, it was you know just after punk rock and then before Britpop as well, right mm-hmm. there in the middle. Mm-hmm. That that was us. I mean, we, yeah. we were pretty much out there on on our own really for some time. Yeah. And I like that. I'll tell you why. Because um, me and my brother Chris, we wanted to form a rock and roll group. Uh, the only rock and roll bands really were American bands that we loved, like the Cramps or the Ramones, people like that. There wasn't really any genuine English rock and roll bands, but the Godfathers were. We still are. You know, mm-hmm. right from the beginning, right to the end, that's what we do. Undiluted, powerful rock and roll music. It doesn't have to be the same sort of record all the time. I like bands that progress from album to album. Not obviously not comparing ourselves to them, but like the way the Beatles did, and you know, there's no way did they sound like Please Please Me in 1967 or 19, you know, 69. You know, so they they always change all the time. Yeah. And that's that's one of the things I like about the Godfathers that we can change, and I want to change. We still play what people might consider to be rock and roll music, but we we incorporate lots lots of other stuff within our sort of sound. Sure. You know, sure. Who were your contemporaries back then? Because I was trying to think, you know, that my favorite era of any music ever is 80s British alternative. Those bands like Simple Minds or U2 or New Order or Depeche Mode or whatever that were, you know, bubbling around at that Uh time. Those are just all, that's why I love you guys so much. But your sound is not exactly like that. There's no synthesizers. There's not a lot of saxophones or anything like that. These hallmarks of 80s sounds. So like when you're coming up, you mentioned playing the States five weeks after forming. But when you're coming up, who are you playing with? Are you playing with bands like The Cult? Or uh, I'm trying to think of other British bands, that Big Country maybe, or The Alarm. Other British bands that are, you know, they're rooted in more like rock Rock and roll. We, we did play with rock the cult. We played uh, quite a few gigs with the cult in in, uh, in the UK. The the people I always sort of think of as contemporaries of ours is bands like the Screaming Blue Messiahs. Oh, good one! Yes, they're also yes. produced by Vic Mail as well. You know, yeah. producer for the first three albums. I like the Lars as well from Liverpool. They're a really great yeah, band. There she great. goes was a fantastic record. There were quite a few good bands out in the eighties, and they were all different. You know, yeah. that's that's what's great about that era. You know, absolutely. I was reading a review of one of your albums, and 
it de it uh, described your songs as brass knuckled punches and i thought that is the perfect description of what the godfather's music is to me it's like punched into the face but with brass knuckles it's so tough you know what i mean uh -huh. i love that yeah i do i love, love that you know, I lo we like to play stuff like that but also there's another side to the Godfathers where we don't do stuff like that. True. You know, that's what I like. The album, um, more songs about love and hate. Yeah. It's, it's got a lot of different sort of dynamics on the record. It finishes with a beautiful sort of ballad almost called Another You. Yep. And that's that's probably one of my favorite Godfather's records. Really? So, Interesting. It's a lovely tune. Really nice it is. tune. It's beautiful. And um yeah, I, I'm not I you're right, there's there's diversity there. In fact, a crowd favorite, from my understanding, since I've never been able to see you live, is the walking talking Johnny Cash Blues. Cool. Which is uh, a great tune. And I could see that Johnny Cash being a, uh, you know, an influence or an, an example of sort of the vibe or the attitude you guys were going for. Would that have been accurate? Definitely accurate. I love Johnny Cash so much. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. been listening to Johnny Cash since I was about five years old. Yeah. He's always been there. I used to look at his album covers when I was like five or six and 
just see the big hair and like the craggy uh, face and then <laughs> put the record on and it was uh, you know Johnny Cage's voice and that boom chicka boom chicka boom chicka boom I love that rhythm you know yeah, so how how that song actually came about more, um, for that album more songs about love and hate was uh, we was getting some songs together for that record and we was on tour of America and we just signed to Epic and uh, one of the things that's normal when you sign to a label is they let you go to the sort of archive room and pick as many of the albums on on the label that that, that they've got. So uh, I was this kid in the candy store here. So you know, so I said, um, I'll have whatever you got by the Yardbirds. They were on Epic Records as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sliner Family Stone. I can't remember some some other bands I mentioned. And I said, whatever you got by Johnny Cash. And they said, oh, we we can't give you any records by Johnny Cash because he's not on the label any longer. Oh. I was like, what do you mean he's not on the label any longer? Because CBS is part of Sony, right? Do you know sure. what I mean? Yeah. And he said, well, no, he's, he's just been dropped by the label. I said, you can't do that. It's Johnny Cash. How can you drop Johnny Cash? He, he made CBS records, you know? Yeah. So um, I, I thought that was a bit of a crime that, that yeah. they would let a giant like Johnny Cash go just like that. Just yeah. click, click your fingers. He's gone. Sorry. He's so much more important than that. You know, so where they weren't putting out Johnny Cash records at that time, we thought, right, you're going to put one out on the Godfather's album. It's called Walking, Walking, Talking Johnny Cash Blues. There you go. You know? Yeah. We recorded a demo of it as well when we had a day off in the States at Johnny Cash's studio in Nashville. We took a day off and, like, you know, instead of like, relaxing, enjoying ourselves, we hopped straight into a studio. It was in the middle of a three month tour. We thought, right, let's not waste it. We're in Nashville. We booked the studio up through Epic Records and we just gone in and done the first draft of Walking, Talking, Johnny Cash Blues. I couldn't believe how slow the American engineers were. (laughs) Really? I I would have thought, bang, these guys were Americans. They know all about sound. You know what I mean? But no, it it took ages. But it was a fantastic trip just to to be in his studio recording that song. I never got to see him live, though. I can't believe it. Me neither. Me neither. I know. I, he's a legend, and I, I would imagine he would have been a touchstone for you guys. Speaking of which, so I've, I've been curious about this. Whenever a band takes on, or a group sort of takes on a persona, I always wonder how difficult it is, or does it ever feel confining to have to remain in that persona for you know decades afterwards? You guys put on the Godfather suits, the ties, always looking dapper, but then also playing this brass-knuckled rock and roll who thought of that? And, and do you ever wish that you could just go out and like jeans and a t-shirt? I think me and my brother, we sort of used to dress pretty much like that when we used to go to punk rock concerts in 1977. You know, we weren't punks. We didn't have punk hair and wear leather jackets or ripped clothes or whatever. We all sort of looked a bit smart. I mean, the whole idea for me about punk was that you were yourself and you could be yourself and, I've always been the sort of person that I like bands like, you know, look at the Temptations, look at the Four yeah. Tops, look, look at the way they deliver themselves. They look so classy and so like fabulous. Look at people like David Bowie or Brian Ferry from Roxy Music or something. You know, you're putting on, like, uh, you're not just putting on your clothes for the concert. It's the whole aura of, of the band. People see a band before they hear it. And that's what I like about one of the things about the Godfathers. They might, look at us first and go, oh, okay. They might judge us one way because we do look sort of sharp, mm-hmm. but then this wall of sound hits them. You know, we look yeah. might look clean to some people, but we play 
dirty, filthy rock and roll music. Yeah. You know, and that's good. That's good. That's it. it blindsides them. It wrong-foots them. Yep. You know? I love that. Were you guys, you know, a bunch of brawlers growing up? Was it, uh, are you as tough as the image you put out there or is it more of a facade? I think I'm a Catholic, right? Okay. So a godfather is somebody who looks after somebody. True. Okay. Yeah, good. So that's one way of looking at it, you know? Yeah. It, we it, always it think of mafiosos in America, you know? We, we never got ripped off for any money for concerts or anything like that. <laughs> we had a little bit of a reputation in that way that preceded, got it. preceded us before we got to a place even. So that was good, you know. So I think we've been stiffed a couple of times for money, but it happens to bands all the time, you sure. know. But we've been genuinely lucky. And if they ever try to cut funny about stuff like that, I'll just say to them, listen, I've got friends. We've got friends. We've got friends. <laughs> And just look at them really seriously. And then they just always give you the money. <laughs> Love it. Love that. Yes. Working mm. to your advantage. Oh, yeah. That's great. Um, okay. I have a technical question for you. And, and right. if this is peeking too far behind the curtain, you don't have to tell me. But I'm curious what it takes to tour with a bunch of wearing a bunch of suits. So do you bring like four or five suits on tour with you? Do you bring sure. one and you dry clean it after every show? Do you ever have to wear the same suit two nights in a row and it's just sticky and smelly? Not really, not really. I mean, you know, we don't, I don't sit in a tour bus wearing a suit and tie. True. I can okay. tell you that for, for sure. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? But I you're going like to get all sweaty on stage and stuff, right? Of course you do. You know, we, yeah. we drip sweat. We're like horses after a race, like, you yeah. know, so, because yeah. we put out a lot of energy with our music. So, um, uh, but no, it's, you, you, you got to, sort of take care of yourself on the road and you've got to take care of your clothes and you've got to, there's so many things you've got to do. It's not a, mount, uh, a matter of just stepping up on stage for an hour and a half. It's, yeah. There's a lot more to being in a band than that really, you know? Sure. So you, you bring, let's say four suits on the road with you. I, I don't know if you bring more or less than that. Let's say four suits and you sp space them out. And then when you have a day off, you get them dry cleaned or something like that. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. okay. Just that. Just okay. that. Or you bring four suits, another couple of jackets, three three pairs of trousers, couple of pairs of jeans. Yeah. Fifteen pairs of underwear, twenty <laughs> pairs of socks, uh, twelve, fourteen shirts, all ironed, ready to go. Then you're yeah. ready to go. Okay. You know? Good. I have a big suitcase. I believe it. That's <laughs> yeah. That's kind of what I'm driving I at. I used to yeah. call it the monster, my suitcase. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Okay, I have another kind of peek behind the curtain question for you. On Hit by Hit, there's the track Sticks and Stones.
Yep. And the lyrics go, sticks and stones, whips and chains excite me. And uh, I thought, that's that's really kind of uh, salacious. Is uh, Peter just being provocative? Or um, is, are we getting a, some insight into Peter Coyne on this one? Not really. It's just a oh, song. Okay. You know, a lot okay. of people take things too literally. Sure. You know, um, sticks and stones may break my bones, but whips and chains excite me. It came from a badge that I saw in a shop. That was like a music shop or something. It was on oh. like a guitar amp or something. And I thought, oh, that's, that's quite catchy. That I'll nick that, you know. <laughs> so I like, I like things that are found, you know, whether yeah. they be like um, a badge in a shop or a newspaper headline. That song, If Only Had Time, comes entirely, but basically from English tabloid newspaper headlines. Harry Grant's on LSD, A Million Mums Are Hooked on Valium, A Generation Raised on Poverty. They're all actual genuine English uh, headlines in newspapers. And I had a, a few lines here and there yeah. and then put them into a song. You know, that's a, so and again, great. that's a sort of trick I nicked off the Beatles. They was all stealing stuff from newspapers or TV or what have you. A lot of people. 4,000 Holes in Blackburn, Lancashire, for instance, you know, stuff like that, you know. Yeah. Yeah. A day in the life, you know, that was yeah. inspired by some guy, a, a rich aristocrat friend of the Beatles and the Stones who actually died in a car crash, you know. Oh, that's right. Okay. Yeah, I uh, I was just curious how much of Peter Coyne was in the lyrics of that song in particular. Um, so when things kind of, I don't, I don't really know. I know that the albums stopped happening around the mid-90s. Um, what do you do from there? Does the... Does the God, do you just tour? Do you kind of retire the Godfathers for a while and go do something else? What happens well, we, when things kind of grind to a halt like that? They never really grind to a halt, to be oh, fair and good. to be quite honest. We recorded two more albums uh, once we were off Epic Records. We made three albums with them. We done Hit by Hit on our own label, signed up to Epic Records, some birth school work there, more songs about love and hate, Unreal World, and then the label dropped us. Mm -hmm. That was it. You know, game's up. Okay, fair enough. So we got signed to this massive label in Germany called Intercord. We made another album, came out about 94, I think, called um, released a live album in between, but I can't oh, tell you the true. title. It's too rude to go out. Your, your, <laughs> yeah, your I know what you mean. <laughs> yeah, that one. Yeah. 
And then we put out a studio album, which was it was uh, self-titled. It's called The Godfathers, but it's got an orange on the cover. So yeah. a lot of people call it The Orange Album. It's a really good album. And, I love uh, it. It's got a lot of cool songs on it. We've done that, and uh, I mean, Velvet Underground had a banana, the Beatles had their white album, Prince had his black album, we've got our orange album. Okay? <laughs> but it's weird how these things turn out, because in the film The Godfather, the orange is a portent of death. That's true. <laughs> right? When yes. Marlon Brando's shot in the marketplace, he's buying some oranges, which uh-huh. spill out onto the ground. Right? Okay? Uh-huh. And in the, this, there's another scene in... Um, Godfather 3, I think, where all the, all these dudes are sitting around the table, might be Godfather 2, they all get shot and a load of oranges roll out. Uh-huh. Francis Ford Coppola was very big on oranges. Yeah. Um, Al Pacino was eating an orange in Godfather 3 mm-hmm. when he croaks it as well. You know, there's lots of orange symbolism in <laughs> in the, the Godfather movies. Fantastic films, got to say. Oh, like, fantastic, you know. yeah. yeah. That is, I am an idiot because I didn't make that connection I just thought that was an interesting thing to put on a cover. Of course, that's what that means. Oh my gosh! Of course, it didn't. It didn't. But I'm reading. Oh, really? That was that just a coincidence? No, no. no. <laughs> oh well, then maybe just I'm not so dumb. <laughs> no, you're not so dumb. Okay. And then okay. we released another album called Afterlife. After that.
And, That's the uh, only one I don't know. I have all the others. In Afterlife, I don't. I've never heard that one. It's okay. It's not oh, one really? of the best records. I wouldn't okay. bother. There's about four okay. or five good tracks on it, and the rest is sort of here, there, and everywhere. And okay. then um, been in the band for so long, fifteen years or whatever, taking up to the year two thousand. Everybody was a bit frazzled in the band. The lineup was changing all the time. And uh, me and my brother won't get along too well. We started the band together, my brother Chris, Chris and me. And we just decided to knock it on the head in 2000, and that was it. Mm. And, you know, I went back to a, like, a, like a normal life, as it were, like, you know, really? not playing gigs or anything. And then um, 2008, we decided to put out the original hit-by-hit uh, hit album, but expand it into a double album. So there was like BBC sessions on it, demos, live tracks, etc., etc. So it became a double album. So we thought, let's get the original lineup, the band back together, and uh, we went out and played a bunch of dates all around the world, big festivals and mm -hmm. UK uh, things and stuff like that. And um, it, it was good. And then when that finished, like the next year, we played a some Valentine's Day Massacre at the Metro in Chicago. It was a great gig. And then that sort of started dissipating. With I all said about, you know, we've got the original lineup back. It last like might last five gigs or it might last 50 gigs. I don't know. We'll just do it and just see how it goes. But we didn't want to stop the band, so we carried on. And then we made another album after that uh, called um, Jukebox Fury. Again, that's yep. sort of a bit here, there, and everywhere. You know, it's, again, it's got a couple of good, interesting tracks on it. It's not bad. But it's not it's not classic i right. think the godfather's classic albums are hit by hit first of all death more songs about love and hate umbra world and that orange album and then we made a really uh, good album in 2015 or 16 or 17 can't remember now but it's called a big bad beautiful noise that's, i love that that's one it's a, a really good album i think yeah you know one of my favorite godfather songs is on that album feedbacking
the guitars just snarl like crazy. And I love when you guys do that on that. And that song is such a perfect example of that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, that, so that when track in particular was just inspired by that phrase feedbacking. I mean, it's really? not actually a, te a technical word, mm -hmm. you know, uh, the guitarist Marrow, you have the tune and I always said, you know, I always write all the time even with or without a, a sort of instrumental sort of thing, just because I like writing or I'll get an idea in my head that I think, Oh, that, that could be interesting. So I'll make a note of it. I'll write all the lyrics in the band and, um, I just keep it like, you know, and yeah. whenever a tune presents itself, that's going to fit that, then I place the lyrics on top of it sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I, I can um, come up with melodies and things like that, but generally it's the people in the band write the music and I write the words, but I do come up with mu musical contributions or suggestions or what have you, you know? Yeah. Speaking of people in the band, I feel like, um, and I hope this is okay to say, I feel like Chris Dollymore's guitar playing is, has been integral, at least in the early days of creating that Godfather brass knuckle sound. And, um, but he, he's in and out of the band. What's at the root of this dysfunction? Why does he not stick around? Uh, he's a brilliant guitarist, uh, Chris Dollymore, but he wasn't the only guitarist in the band. There was another True. great guitarist called Mike Gibson. And it was always planned to have, a twin sort of guitar sound in the Godfathers. One, because we, me and my brother had been in a band before called the Sid Press Experience. And that, that was quite a good band. And we got on TV in the UK and singles of the week and all these papers and all that. But had one guitarist in the band. And, mm -hmm. you know, say that guitarist wants to leave, <laughs> that's yeah. it. What are you going to do? But if you've got two guitars, you know, you've got more scope for interplay on stage looks great with two guitars either side of the stage as well. So it wasn't just Chris Dollymore. Mike Gibson was a fantastic guitarist True. as well. We've always had really, really good players in the band. Right yeah. up to this day, where you've got Richie Simpson on guitar and Wayne Vermack on guitar as well. You know, this, this new lineup kicks ass. Yes, yeah. Yeah, that's true. I, um, you're right. I, I shouldn't have put it all on Chris. I, the Godfathers just have such a thick guitar sound and uh, I wondered what his contribution was to it, but you know, to each, it was own. an immense contribution. I'm not putting down his contribution at all. Yeah. It was an integral part of the uh, original lineup of the band, but when things reach a natural conclusion or an end, that's it. What can you do? I can't yeah. hold a gun to his head and say, you're going to be in the Godfathers for the rest of your life. Right. You know, <laughs> you know, I'd like to, but right. you know, it doesn't work out like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you mentioned a second ago, you alluded to kind of going back to a normal life. What does that mean? Does Peter Coyne go get a job that's not as a rock star anymore? Or what, what does that mean? First, it meant catching up with myself and becoming a human being again yeah. after, because when you're in a band, it's like, it's high velocity all the time. Mm -hmm. You just never stop doing things. You never stop recording. You never stop uh, touring. You never stop. You know, you barely get to see home all the time, you know. Mm -hmm. So first couple of years was just sort of becoming like a normal person, like sure. for want of a better phrase. Like, you know, I did have jobs at that, uh, at that point mm -hmm. that I don't want to talk about oh, but because uh, okay. you have to do something, you know, to keep the wall from the door. Of course. But um, I've always done writing and things like that. I used to be a journalist before 
I was ever in a band. I used to write for some really big magazines called Record Mirror. I was like one of sure. the national music papers in the UK. I used to write for that when I was a teenager. So I've always liked writing. I've just got back into doing a bit more music uh, journalism now as well during That's lockdown. Great. That's great. For a really good magazine called uh, Beaver Rock, which is one of the, the top um, uh, music papers in music mags in the UK. It's the monthly. You know, because of what happened was um, the guy who produced uh, our first three albums were produced by Vic Mayo, a brilliant producer, and then he died while we were on tour in the States. Mm. So, uh, of course, we had to get somebody else in to produce what was going to be our next album, which was Unreal World. And we got Steve Brown in. Steve Brown, he produced um, uh, She Sells Sanctuary for oh, yeah. the Colts. Sure. And uh, that album, uh, Electric, and uh, produced Wham, their, their debut album. He produced so many like, fantastic acts, Manic Street Preachers. He'd done The Godfather's Unreal World, but he died earlier this year, January. Oh. So um, I wanted to mark that. Like, you know, so I contacted Beaver Rock magazine and said, look, you know, if you want me to write Steve Brown's obituary, because they have an obituary couple of pages in uh, the Beaver Rock magazine. So I, I wrote that. That's great. For, for Steve Brown. It's actually out in the current issue. Oh, great. Oh, good. What I wrote about um, Steve Brown. He was, a, he was a lovely guy, Steve Brown. That's Brilliant good. producer. I've seen his oh, name for years. I don't think I knew he really. passed away. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. I, um, I, that's funny. I, <laughs> I was thinking about him recently, actually, I'm reading a book by the producer, Phil Brown. It got me thinking of Steve Brown and I have a lot of producers on this show and I love talking to them because they've worked with so many different people. So you get all these really sure. fun stories. And I thought I should look up Steve Brown and I didn't realize that he had passed on. That's sad. I'll have to put a, I'll try and put a link to your article in the description of this show so that people can find it and uh, read what you okay. said. That's great. Yeah. It's in this month's issue of Fever Rock, which is out in the UK at the moment. Okay. That's great. Um, so what are you guys going to, are you just sort of waiting it out then at this point for COVID to end? So you guys can pick back up the celebration. What do you think? Well, we've done, we've done those two tracks on Not Your Slave and Wild and Free, and that came out. And again, it got amazing reviews. I can't Good. tell you, all around the world. It, Good. You know, we've got a lot of radio play all around uh, the world. We've got some fantastic reviews for that double uh, A side. And um, that's the start of the genesis of what's going to become the next Scott Barber's record. There won't be uh, tracks, anything like those two tracks. We've mm -hmm. done those two already. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So the whole album is going to be like um, just uh, different layers on it all the time. We've, we've done some, uh, when lockdown eased a little bit, we got back together in September, October, and we've done some more rehearsals and more recording. So we recorded another three uh, tracks then. So that makes it five. We've been writing all the time mm. since uh, lockdowns happened. So when it's when we can actually physically be in, be in the same room, well, we'll just shape these songs up and then go in and record the rest of the album. Like, you know? Excellent. Excellent. But I want it to be something really, really special, you yeah. know, because yeah. you're only good as your last record in this yeah. game. That's it. That's what. That's the nature of the beast. So we want to make a really fantastic album. That is our album for this lineup. That's our calling card. Mm. 
there you go, and then we'll go all around the world and uh, uh, you know support that album by playing sure. it live everywhere. Like, you know, and maybe, hopefully, we might get over to the states, but it's uh, I hope so expensive to get into America. It costs, I think, it costs like an American band costs them about five hundred pounds or a thousand pounds to get into the UK per per band member, right? But for a, a UK app to get into America, it costs 5000 right? Because you've got to pay for visas, you've got to pay for work permits, you've got to pay for this, that, and the other, you know. So yeah. there's a lot of hoops you've got to go through nowadays. It's almost impossible for British bands to tour America. It's okay if you're, like, you know, the Who or somebody like that, you know, right. of course you can right. do it. Right. It's so infuriating. It's not as easy as what it used to be. Right. Um, it's so infuriating and I, and I talked to a lot of, like I said, with British alternative bands from the eighties being my favorite, I talked to a lot of you guys and I'm always wondering that same thing. Like, when are you going to be able to come back to the States? And they, they tell similar stories. It's just financially yeah. too difficult to make it happen. And that is so frustrating, you know? It's, uh, it's madness. I'll tell you why, because Americans love British bands. They love yes. They really That's, love them because there's something different about a British act that they can't get in America, right? Yep. No two ways about it. American bands and American culture have been massive on the UK, and it's been two-way traffic. And yeah. Of course, it's always been British bands in the States, starting with the Beatles and going right up to Bowie and, you know, present-day, you know, stuff. That, you know, it, it's a massive contribution. But that's been thwarted because of these bureaucratic loopholes and, yeah. you know, unbelievable costs that you've got to go through to even get to the States in the first place. It's ridiculous. Yeah. It's an yeah. imbalance. It's not fair on British acts and it's got to stop. Yeah, I agree. <clears throat> you know, I, uh, you bring up a good point. I'm curious what your thoughts are. What do you think? I had Miles Hunt from the Wonder Stuff on here about a year ago and I asked okay. him the same question. So why is it that Brits make this certain kind of music so much better than Americans do, whether it be the Godfathers or the Wonder Stuff or Two-Tone or whatever, you know, Bowie, whatever it is, you guys just have yeah. something. And um, I wondered what that was. And he, he brought it back to a lot of kind of like political oppression, you know, that youth culture in the UK, just constantly feeling like boots on the back of your neck being stuffed down. That's what kind of sparks this, this rebelliousness and this creativity. What do you think it is? What do you think it is about artists from the UK that make them different or special? And, and just this sound that Americans can't find. Granted, I you guys I, couldn't do Mo, Motown either, but um, what do you think it is? I, I don't, you know, man, I, I, I know Miles Hunt, but not really well, but we okay. had a telephone conversation about, Six months ago, eight months oh. ago, we had a good old chat together on the phone for about an hour. It was it was amazing. I, love it. I wish I'd recorded it because that would have made a great interview. Yes. But that's his that's his perception of, of, of it. But I think it's because there's such a, a brilliant tradition in the UK. Always have been of great rock and roll bands and great music, starting right. with the Beatles, the Stones, the Kinks, the Small Faces, the Animals, you know, Yardbirds, and then it moves on from there. You know. We, yeah. we are standing on the shoulders of giants, literally. Yeah. And you, you grow up listening to that kind of music. You, you're looking at it at TV. It's the music is there all around you. One of the first records I ever 
made an effect on me when I was about seven years old or something. Was I was walking down the street and I could hear substitute by the Who coming out of this jukebox mm-hmm. in this cafe. And it was like, wow, what's that? That's, yes. that's just sounds really dangerous. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, just yeah. threatening sort of you, dan, 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 bam, 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 you know, substitute. Yes. Fantastic. Yeah. You yeah. know, so you sort of grow up with that. And then, you, you know, I always wanted to be in a band. You know, I didn't think I could do it, you know, but I always used to read music papers avidly, uh, look at bands on top of the pops and think, wow, this is great, you know, mm-hmm. never thinking one day I'll do it myself, you know, mm-hmm. but here I am and here we are, you know. Yeah. I think British bands, they come from a, a, a fine tradition of yeah. music. That's what sucks about the British acts not being able to get to the States kick American ass, you know, because yeah. we Big love time. to do it. Because the tea bags, as the some American <laughs> call us, uh, we, we can do it. We can yeah. do it. Not better than American bands, but different. But different. Yeah, you know? yeah, I agree. I totally agree. There's something special. I, I can't put my finger on it. I can't explain it because it's magic. Yep, that, it that's that's what it might say about British bands. They've got a certain magic about them. That's doesn't it. matter who they are. Yep, I don't know what it is, but it is magic. Um, okay, I want to hear some stories. I mean, like I said, you guys were coming up during the period of time that is my very favorite. I'm imagining at some point along the line you bumped into i don't know boy george or ranking roger or whoever kim wilde or you know all the like british pop hallmarks from that era what are some stories from back then did you we talked about sharing a bill with living color and the sugar cubes who are some of the other people that you toured with that you became friends with or that you saw and hung out with we um uh, everybody was in the original lineup with the Godfathers. We was all at the same Ramones concert in London. Oh yeah! About four months before we we got the band together, before we'd even met, or before we knew we was going to be in a band together, we was all at the same gig. You know, it's the Ramones, right? One yeah, of the best bands yeah. ever. Yeah. You know, and then once we started being in the group, we started discussing it, and then we all found out. You know, a year later, we was all at that same concert. <laughs> <laughs> and then, then we used to tour the States. Joe Ramone used to come to see us every time we played New York. Every time we played New York, he would be there. Right? Wow. You know, we, we got to play for uh, three weeks on a European tour with the Ramones. You know, oh. we played with uh, the Ramones at a, a big festival in the UK called the Reading Festival. It's Iggy uh-huh. Pop, top of the bill, Ramones second on the bill. Godfather's third on the bill. It was fantastic <sighs> night, like you know. So that that was a great thing to do. I mean, I've got to say the Ramones because they're always one of my favourite bands. There's a song on Jukebox Fury called "I Can't Sleep Tonight," which is sort of like a tribute, homage to the Ramones, you know. Oh! 
That's great. And uh, their manager, Danny Fields, was uh, he's still going. Yeah. All, all of the Ramones are dead now, which is it makes me sad. But yeah. Danny Fields, their manager, is still alive, and he was a great supporter of the Godfathers in America. He used to. Oh, interesting. Uh, you do because he was like a radio sort of DJ as well, and you do one interview with Danny Fields. And he would get it syndicated across America. Yeah. So you, you do one interview with Danny and he go all out all over the States. Danny Fields, you know, just for anybody who doesn't know, he signed up the, the doors to Electra Records, he signed up the MC5 to Electra Records, he managed uh, the Ramones, and you know, it was a fabulous fellow, this yeah. guy. Like he'd done so much for rock and roll music, and he was a great supporter of the band. He, when we got hit by hit out as a reissue. I contacted Danny and asked him, would you write the liner notes? And he went, yeah, sure. Mm. You know, so he wrote the liner notes for the reissue of Hit By Hit. He'd done a, a fantastic job as well, like, you know. So it's characters like that, playing with people like Iggy Pop, um, mm-hmm. which was a total dream for for me as a, uh, as a person because I grew up listening to people like that. David Bowie used to come to see the Godfathers. He'd wow. come to see the band a couple of times, like, you know, and he was a, it was a good fan of, uh, of the Godfathers, and it was it was a trip, yeah. you know, to, to actually meet David Bowie, you know, I bet. I bet. twice, like you know, I'm like, wow. Again, he's not with us any longer, is he? Yeah, no. he's a star man now. Yeah, yeah. Um, by the way, there, for anyone who doesn't know, there's a really good documentary on Danny Fields that came out a couple of years ago. I think it's called Danny Says. Danny and Says. It, that's the Ramon song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Still haven't seen it, but I will do. Yeah, and he ta- it talks a lot about him discovering the Ramones and Iggy and a lot of the other things that you were talking about. Yeah, cool. that's great. Um, okay, and another question that I asked some people, I'm curious if you have any regrets. When you look back over this career, is there a decision that you made that you wish you could take back or anything like that? Not really. I, I don't really believe in things like that. I mean, good. what's going to be is going to be. There's one, one thing I would regret, though, is that... Um, when we put out more songs about love and hate as an album, we had uh, the first single was uh, She Gives Me Love. And we put uh, Walking Talking Johnny Cash Blues as the B-side of that record. Oh. That was a ridiculous move because it should have been, obviously, should have been a single in its own right, you know? Yeah. yeah. But, you know, minor little things like that. I mean, it's still on the album. It's still, I think it's still a classic piece of music. Please play it so people can hear it. But it's, um, I wish that would have been a single. But that's, these are little things, like sure. in the whole scheme of things, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I agree. No regrets whatsoever about Good. anything. Good for you. Um, you mentioned being married to Karen. Do you have kids? 
No, because I'm too busy in a band. Good. Okay. Just curious. I like to know the personal stuff. And did I see, did I see you post sometime in the last couple of years that you had quit smoking? Mm-hmm. That's, that's, yep. that's kind of major because so many of the old pictures of the Godfathers from back in the heyday, you're holding a cigarette. That's part of the persona of you as the mafia boss. You know what I mean? But so I would imagine that was a big step for you. It was actually, because I used to smoke on stage. It was, <laughs> you know, yeah. on stage with a cigarette and then, you know, but nobody can smoke in public buildings anymore. It, it, was, it was killing me to be quite honest with you. So um, okay. I was glad to give up. Stopped about two years ago. I haven't had a cigarette since. Good for you. And um, I'm just happy not to be smoking. I vape. Uh, I'm vaping yeah. right now. I can hear but it. But on a scale from one to 100, you know, a cigarette is like 99 mm-hmm. badness. A vape is maybe four or five. Right. You know, yeah. I had a cough and that wasn't doing me any good through smoking. So I, I'm coughed in two years. Good for you. Good for you. I interviewed somebody last night for the podcast who unfortunately is dying of lung cancer from smoking and emphysema, diabetes. And uh, he's only 67 and he quit finally five years ago. And he was just saying, if I had quit earlier, I wouldn't be in this mess. He had an oxygen tank on and all that kind of stuff. That's his life now. So good for you, Peter. Thank you. But you're scaring me now. Well, (laughs) sorry. Well, I'm, I, I, this is, (laughs) sorry. That was my way of saying good job, actually. Yeah. Thank you. No, no, I'm going to be fine. Good, good. Okay. Well, uh, Peter, thank you for talking with me. I just, you were, I love the sound of your band and it's so, you know, it's not unique because it's great, greasy, gritty rock and roll. And yet for your time period, it feels unique. There weren't a lot of other bands at that time doing what the Godfathers did. And I've always been curious what your story was. Cause I just, I don't know much about you, but I love what I've heard. I've got all the albums to prove it. And so I've just, I'm so, I have been trying to make this happen with you for years. I am so glad we finally did this. Thank you. There's been quite a few in in the last sort of maybe five to eight years, American bands coming out and going, you know, Mars Volta. You know yes. that band? Yes. Well, they done the album called Nocturnique, which was their final album. And they said it was influenced by the Godfather's hit by hit, Superman comics and LSD. No way. So, you know, so <laughs> that was cool. That was Good. nice. There's Soul Asylum. Um, there's a, a few bands have covered like um, Godfather's records. Mm. You know, so that's nice when you get Good. people covering your music they don't do it as well as the godfathers but you know (laughs) of course well good thank you peter for talking with me all right there you have it peter coin i love those guys if the godfathers are new to you i heard i hope you heard some stuff that you like as i mentioned on here their third album unreal world i think it came out in 91 that one's my favorite we didn't spend near enough time talking about it so i want to play another track off of that album because it's so good Now, the next couple of weeks are going to be focused on American rock and roll. All right. Next week's guest, uh, late 80s, mostly early 90s uh, focused. And after that is the 70s. Okay. So that's what the next couple of weeks are going to be. American hard rock and roll. So good. Uh, Huge thanks, as always, to Yan the Man Makevich, my right-hand man for everything. Thank you, buddy, for being my partner. 
Folks, you guys can find us on Facebook. You can like our page. You can send us a message on there. You can send us an email at thehustlepod at gmail.com. Or you can find us on Twitter at thehustlepod. I've been promising for the last couple of weeks a bonus episode. And we've just been too busy to get it out. Hopefully this weekend we will because they're starting to pile up. I've got two or three in the can for that. All right? So uh, stick with us. We'll be back hopefully this weekend. Okay? Thanks, everybody. We love you.